Hey guys, welcome to Rankin' Vile, the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever, and this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? It's been good. I've been watching old ECW pay-per-views in my spare time. Oh, that's... Okay, so uh, had you seen a lot of ECW before, or are you like making your way through it now? I have never seen ECW uh... before, like, last month. And this is going to be a pretty controversial statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, them boys can wrestle. <laughs> the very good wrestle boys. The uh, I mean, which is also weird because I mean, even in the midst of like Sandman beating a guy to death with a kendo stick for ten minutes matches, you've got like ring classics from Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even like wrestlers like Two Cold Scorpio in Easy Money are actually very technical wrestlers. Oh yeah, like Two Cold Scorpio, he does this moonsault leg drop that the first time I saw it I yelled. Yeah, and the FMW, which is my 100% favorite wrestling of all time, FMW mm-hmm. shared talent. So you have Masato Tanaka and Mike Awesome and fucking Jinsei Shinzaki and Hayabusa show up. Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. There's a Hayabusa Shinzaki versus uh, Rob Van Dam and uh, Sabu tag team match on one of the pay-per-views I watched, and it is very good. Man, and honestly, yeah, like, I I was talking to my uh, coworkers earlier today about uh, the practice of blading in pro wrestling which for those of you who listen to our horror podcast and might not know what blading is um it's the practice of uh, a wrestler making it look as though they've been busted open with a foreign object or something by uh hiding a razor blade in their like wrist tape or whatever and uh gashing the their forehead like near the hairline so that the sweat drips down and makes it look worse than it is and uh, i was I, I told them to google abdullah the butcher <laughs> <laughs> and just instant howls of of horrified confusion we're like but wait, he's putting a quarter into one of the slots in his head like um yeah 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 a fork fits in there because he did it too many times he, he was he was a real forkster and also with ecw i think the problem is um well i, I mean I, I i i don't know like when i go back and watch ecw now a lot of the um misogyny and s- sort of growth oh, it's it's absolute trash. Mm-hmm. Like the crowds are awful. Oh yeah. The signs are heinous. <laughs> the trashy, like all of the the angles and the the like ring girls and the mm-hmm. girlfriends gonna interrupt the match and her top falls off and that's awful. But the wrestling is really good. Yeah, I mean, I, I forget uh, what her name was. She was uh, a valet in ECW, and uh, during um, to keep the crowd pumped, she did like a strip tease or something in the ring. And Are you talking about Sunny? No, no, not Sunny. Actually, uh, this was a different. I, I don't think it was. I don't know if it was Francine or. Anyway, it was like she did a a, a brief uh, burlesque, you know, in the middle of the ring, and was not told that they were recording, and then distributed that with the wrestle show on DVD. Ugh. And it's just really fucking gross. And I, I feel like um, when people complain about, like... Because when people complain about a lot of crowds now, they sort of bring up, like, oh, man, you know, I really miss the energy of Attitude, attitude Era crowds. And it's like, no, that listen That troglodyte me. pit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this fucking snake pit of sweaty assholes. Like, it, it, it even lacks the, like, stupidity somehow of, like, WWF crowds around that period where they would hold up signs with, like, 
Sable 42069 instead of Austin 316. Um, the Attitude Era was trash with some notable exceptions. Uh, honestly, like, especially, you know, and, and it's, it's, I talked to Christina who loves wrestling now, but like, has told me that like, yeah, you know, back in the day, I um, saw all of the young numb nut asshole boys I went to school with doing the suck it motion and kind of decided like, you know what? I think I'm cool. I don't need to watch any wrestling. And that's, that's totally legit. Anyone who says wrestling or horror is not my thing. I'm like, you are correct. <laughs> and people yeah, also and ask, why is it your thing? And I'll say, please don't tell people how I live, and I'll skulk <laughs> back into the shadows. Exactly. You, sc- you, you just actually yell, I'm dirty, and sc- scurry off like a cockroach. I mean, So, speaking of dirty cockroaches, mm-hmm. um, I have to know, of yeah. all of the classic Universal monsters, who can get it the most? Well... There's an easy answer to that question, and that's the creature from the Black Lagoon. It's because he got the booty, right? It's because he got the. It's because he got the booty. Okay, so as you, <laughs> as you, as you, uh, as our listeners have probably guessed, the first movie we're going to be diving into, uh, get it, diving, is uh, 2017's The Shape of Water. Um, speaking of the fish butt, let's get this out of the way immediately. Deadass, though, like Fishman is thick, and and I love. Now here's the thing. Uh, Guillermo del Toro is amazing for many, many, many reasons, and I want him to be my dad, but also because he meticulously workshopped that fish butt for months. So, it's hard to watch The Shape of Water and not just think that it's Abe Sapien fanfic from Hellboy, (laughs) because it it really looks like, and it's Doug Jones, but it really does feel like... This is the Abe Sapien origin movie he wanted to make, and then the oh. rights got pulled. Oh so yeah, like, and, then, and ah, we'll just we'll just you know fiddle with it a little bit. Although maybe maybe it's better that they didn't uh, use David Hyde Pierce's uh, uh, overdubbed voice from Hellboy over the Fishman from The Shape of Water, because although I don't know that would be kind of delightful. Like oh excuse me, do you, do you, do you, uh, do you mind if I eat this egg? Oh thank you, and just sort of <laughs> immediately diving back below the water like I'd, I'd be into that. But honestly, all right. Uh, the Shape of Water, uh, I, I feel like it's been not necessarily a contentious movie because, I mean, it won the Academy Award. Most of the people I know who have seen it love this movie. Um, it's playing with a lot of different dynamics. Yeah, it's a, a I mean, this fish fucks. <laughs> right. This is, uh, honestly, Alan Moore wishes he could write a monster fucking story like this. Um and obviously, like, the, the, the Fishman design, I love the sound design for the Fishman and the way he communicates. Yeah, yeah. And the nictitating lenses and the way oh. that throughout the movie they actually animate his eyes. It's no Ewok where it doesn't blink or it's even shitty CG to, like, superimpose blinking. It's, like, actual eye movement like real like the attention to detail the bioluminescence Mm. when that comes that's revealed in the movie it's like yeah super good design man and honestly like i don't think there's a weak performance in this movie so um the uh, so we're not I, i i we're not doing spoilers i think right um i can't figure out what's a is the sex scene a spoiler uh, I don't think that's a spoiler because I think most people are familiar with the fact that this fish fucks. <laughs> um, that which you look at most... this fish and you think, does he fuck? 
Which, and by in the your way, heart, the ringing ascent. Yes, he does. <laughs> he certainly does. I, I immediately think of um, you know what true allyship looks like is the um, the sex toy company that shortly after the release of this film created and released um, what they imagined to be uh, the fishman's dick as Man. A, as a dildo. Um, and and it's funny because it gets into this bigger cultural conversation. I know um, Lindsay Ellis, who does uh, vid- a lot of really amazing video essays, did a video exploring like, okay, let's talk about monster fucking. And it's a really old thing that, like, you know, so many different cultures with their, like, myths and legends and fairy tales, people are, have been out here fucking monsters, fictionally and otherwise, pretty much forever. Um, and, I mean, it's that question of, like, so when did, you know, everybody is pretty much on board with fish fucking now. Like, it, I mean, if, it, if, it's get, if it's winning the Academy Award, the concept is well over, I think. <laughs> it's like... like... Um, so is the fish fucking consensual? I would say yes. I think within the framing of the movie, um, the main character and the fishmen are on an even playing field. Um, I mean, he is, you know, he's in captivity at the beginning of the thing and he's chained up. And I feel like if, if, if the fish fucking had occurred while that dynamic was still in place and he was in captivity, that would be a different story. I'm just sitting here thinking about how proud my mother must be of me. <laughs> Listen, we have to talk about the semiotics of fish fucking. And, and the thing is, I think that um, it's the way that it's played in the movie, like they it's almost kind of uh, ineffable, the connection that the two of them have. And the way the movie uses visual language and framing and c- the way that they communicate, I, it is consensual within the context of the film, I think. Yeah, um, I do wonder, and this is spoiler territory, so we won't get into it. Mm-hmm. There is an issue that Emily pointed out with the ending, and it does kind of track where things kind of get weird at the end. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't want to go into that on this episode because that's a spoiler, and I think it does not ruin the movie. It's just interesting food for thought and conversation about the ending. Definitely. I, and honestly, the ending, I think, is not... It's not my favorite part of the movie, but the very, very ending, I was... Re- so I was re-watching this at work, and I was legit... I was trying not to cry. Like, yeah. that that poem? Yeah. Yeah. This movie is about feelings. It makes me feel so many goddamn feelings. Um... I also like how it's this interesting uh, Cold War movie, and oh, God. it also like throws this light of who are the real bad guys, and do we really know? <laughs> and is well, it just American misogyny that's the true evil here? It, it is specifically Michael Shannon. He is the embodiment of the forces of darkness. And I think, you know, Guillermo del Toro has mentioned a whole bunch of times that, like, uh, there's a reason in Pan's Labyrinth why the, the the villain of the thing is a pale white thing. Because it's white dudes. And, and Michael Shannon in this... I mean, honestly, I want Michael Shannon to be in everything. He's one of my favorite actors. Uh, he is fucking perfect as... Um, as the main villain in this. And and I think especially now, all right, we're getting into some dynamics where like, okay, it, so I think that, I, I don't think that this is a, a, 
a navel gazing deep cut to say that Guillermo del Toro is equating in a lot of ways the way the fish man is treated with the way that um, women and LGBT people and um, black people and the marginalized in society during the Cold War and still are treated. And it's this thing of like, you know who the real monster is? It's people. People are the real yeah. monster. And also, I think the best like evilest thing that Michael Shannon does is he does not wash his hands after he pisses. Ah, it's such a heel move. <laughs> oh God. And the fact It is such an evil thing oh. that he washes his hands before he urinates and then looks at the everyone else in the bathroom and says, I didn't pee on my hands and walks Yeah, and, well yeah, out. but he specifically like fucking as strickland the 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 villain he yeah so he's in a bathroom with like two women who are on the cleaning staff and he like makes it a point to pee prominently with his hands on his hips and then is like i don't wash my hands after i pee because it denotes weakness of character and it's like what the fuck are you talking about you goddamn maniac like <laughs> that that and he eats that weird penny candy the whole movie there's oh. just so many good character moments oh man honestly the penny candy reminded me of what's her name from get out eating the fruit loops and sipping milk through a straw like one of these small character things that just makes me want to peel my own fucking face off it's so good and yeah and I feel like Strickland, you know, there's supposed to be the idea because obviously, um, oh, she, well, okay, I don't want to spoil the ending, but suffice it to say, um, things don't go well for Strickland. And I think that's a cathartic moment. You want to see what happens happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, and honestly, like so much of this movie being based in the Cold War, first of all, the soundtrack on Shape of Water is fucking outstanding. Yeah. Um, and also there's like this this there's uh the sort of inter marginalized um group sort of like there's a bit where her roommate who um is a gay man like they're at home and they're eating really shitty pie and on TV there's footage of civil rights protesters being sh- like hit with water hoses and chased with dogs and he just immediately goes turn that off I don't want to see that I don't want to see that and it's because he's trying to eat his pie, and then they turn it to, like, a delightful dancing routine thing, and that's fine. Um, d- d- all right, do you think... Um, and obviously, like, we're two, like, white people talking about this movie, so, like, really what we think about it is kind of beside the point. But do you think the movie takes racism, homophobia, and sexism to task and says something about them, or is it just, like... Nah, ugly, gross, horrible things. That's bad, right? And then just leaves it. So it did not... So Get Out addressed me as a white male viewer and said, Hey man, get your shit together. Mm-hmm. Watch this movie and recognize yourself in these evil characters and quit fucking around. Yeah. Um, The Shape of Water did not force me to directly interact with my privilege Mm -hmm. it is something that in reflection i can see but it's also just a movie where a woman fucks a fish yes right and and, well and and first of all i mean like the fish does fuck but i think everything surrounding the fish fucking i do think that it's a valid critique of the shape of water that like it it sort of peppers in all of this stuff like racism and sexism and homophobia, but never directly challenges those things. And obviously I think Guillermo del Toro 
has enough faith in the viewer for us to go, yes, these are bad things. Um, but I don't know. And I feel like... Oh, please. Well, I think it's interesting because Pan's Labyrinth definitely challenges things more directly. Mm-hmm. He says, hey, look how fucked up Franco was, and look at what awful things people do, and look at what happens to children in these this culture of violence, and, like, you know... Let's talk about how evil that is. Yeah. And and I wonder if there's something that's happening with Ladder del Toro. Because one of the reasons why we put Crimson Peak so low is it doesn't really have much to say. It's just beautiful. Yeah. And um, Pacific Rim is one of my favorite movies of the past couple years just because it's really fun oh i love this but it also has not much to say it is just let's make let's remake robot jocks with (laughs) cthulhu right i mean he literally got the idea for the thing watching a kid playing with toys and was like what if we did that but with millions of dollars and then people paid for it yeah so so i don't know if he doesn't have to try or if he doesn't feel called to or or what's going on that his earlier work is a lot more confrontational about those things yeah yeah confrontational direct yeah and you know that's something that as a established filmmaker he can kind of lay back or or is that a maturity thing that he knows you know as a young man he has to like beat people over the head and as a Mm. older filmmaker he knows and seasoned filmmaker he knows people are smarter than than we give him credit right and i think it's um i mean like especially with Guillermo del toro he's mentioned in a lot of interviews that like he is attracted to monsters well i mean so is everyone in this movie but he like the reason that he loves talking about monsters and the other and you know sort of outsiders is that you know he does feel as an immigrant that he is an outsider and that that's a central part of his experience. So that's the thing that he wants to use as a metaphor. And I don't know, like, I I kind of, I feel like I don't want to sit in my dumb, you know, comfortable, you know, chair and be like, "Mm, I don't know that, you know, this uh, Mexican immigrant, you know, uh, effectively talked about racism. Because, like, you know, what the fuck? But I, I don't know. I do think that that is a legit critique of the film. And, And not to say, like, and that's why this film is bad and there's nothing good about it and throw the whole thing out. Um, but I do think it's worth one, you know, and, and especially I don't need uh, Michael Shannon after what happens to him to turn to the camera in a meta aside and say racism, homophobia and sexism are very bad. And actually it turns us into monsters um, because it turns out the real monster <laughs> was us. Yeah, which is also every zombie movie ever made. Um, it's like that episode of Invader Zim where the aliens say, you know, to us, you're the aliens. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I, I, I think, you know, especially if if you're doing this as a retro piece, it's set in what, the 1960s? Yeah, um, it's, it's well, it's Cold War, so it's like 50s, 60s, kind of on that cusp. Right. Uh, and, and I feel like if you're setting a thing in that period and you're not talking about racism, sexism, and homophobia, you're kind of doing the unreflective nostalgia thing which isn't necessarily on so you're basically doing what makes steampunk suck 
Yes, divorcing it from its fucking imperialist ethos and basically just looking only at the aesthetic and going, haha, weren't poodle skirts fun? <laughs> um, which, you know, listen, I love Pleasantville. But the point, I don't know, I guess the point I'm trying to make is like, he puts those things in the film, trusts that we're going to know that those are bad things, and really keeps directing the camera back to the fish fucking. Um, the, the the lovingly crafted fish butt that he consulted with his family about for months and months to make sure that this was a fuckable fish. Um, and honestly, like, the makeup and the effects, and I I feel like when people are watching this in 10 years, it's not going to be super cringe CG. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's got that eye eye of detail eye to detail mm-hmm. that it's gonna last and it's gonna age well because they're working and there's also a lot of like tangible practical effects and mm-hmm. that's what does not make a movie work. Like we watched the next movie we're gonna talk about, you know, looks like hot trash, but because it's physical effects it works because it lasted yeah and there's something to like there's something about like human achievement that's like a a craftsman made that Mm -hmm. and and that is so much better than cg that looks like i just keep thinking about grim one Mm -hmm. oh yeah and how it's like let's put this weird flash animation on top of this film and, and pretend it doesn't look like garbage all right actors emote <laughs> um oh, I, I forget who it was on twitter but uh, they were like look like bad cg will always look like bad cg in a few years rad puppets will always look like rad puppets like yes yes really, they will really good practical effects i mean it's like you said i mean there's like physical context for it and you this was there's like a loving sort of um you know artisanal monster you know parts uh, aspect to like you know i know that what i i know because i'm not a child that what i'm looking at on screen is not literally an alien monster from beyond the stars uh fucking up an antarctic base with kurt russell um i know that that's a puppet and i'm in love with it and for just a second i can look at it and go oh god and you know and pretend that that's actually happening where i mean like the season three finale of buffy with the big snake cg um I love it because I love bad 90 CG, um, but it it looks like shit. But you know what's far more memorable from Buffy? What's that? That devil from the internet that's a guy <laughs> in a rubber suit. Man! It's like literally, here's a devil that turned himself into a robot, and we have made a cheap costume <laughs> and the, to you know, that, show that. That time Willow got catfished by the internet itself. Way ahead of its time. <laughs> so good. I man. Honestly, Very season... Prescient. Season one of Buffy, by the way, as a side note, uh, because Buffy is my favorite TV show probably of all time. Uh, anytime that I'm getting somebody into Buffy who hasn't seen it before, there's that weird thing of they're like, okay, where should I start? Should I start from season one? And I'm trying to like divine what I know of them as a person and go like, okay, would they enjoy Willow dates a demon from the internet? Or would this immediately make them go like, this is the hokiest shit I've ever seen in my life and turning this off? See, I feel like if you don't like Willow dates a demon from the internet, why are you tuning in? Right. But that's me. Yeah. Because season one is my favorite season of Buffy because Whoa. it has such wonderful moments as Willow dates a demon from the internet <laughs> and has a teacher who's a techno witch. Xander is techno a hyena. Wiccan. Oh my god. Oh, the techno pagan. Yeah, Miss Calendar. Yeah. I, that 
Quincy, I think that might be the most fuego take I've heard from you on this podcast is like favorite season. No, of Buffy. I season don't one. get why everyone shits on season one of Buffy. It is the thesis of Buffy. Yes. High school is awful. Mm-hmm. Monsters are everywhere. <laughs> so like what makes Buffy so good is romance. Right. Um, monster of the week, best friends and the high school setting. When you go to college, everything starts to kind of, wobble on its axis yeah season season one is really good now i won't deny that the rest of the series isn't good Mm -hmm. but if you ask which random episode do you want to watch i'm watching willow (laughs) dated demon from the internet that's legit i mean like instantly i'm like well what about the season two finale but here's the thing you're oh season two finale is very good but it's not a demon from the (laughs) internet i mean you're spot fucking on because honestly on a thursday night i'm not putting on becoming part one and two from season two because i'm not trying to cry my whole life out yeah i'm putting on demon dates of will demon dates willow dates a demon from the internet um which, yeah, I, honestly, if you're watching a show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which in itself is meant to be campy and ridiculous and sort of a knowing wink that, like, yeah, I know, but watch the show. I think you're totally right. Season one is way underrated. So how often do you mourn the fact that the test footage of the Buffy the Animated Series never got picked up to series? Every goddamn day. <laughs> Um, it's, and honestly, it's been so good. Well, and I made the mistake of wanting to keep, you know, after I finished Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, and by the way, I was a, a terrible friend and a terrible roommate because, um, my buddy Kevin, who was my roommate for like years and years, um, we started watching it at the same time. And I, 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 I cheated on Kevin by watching ahead of him. And just, I, I, I had already seen, like, a season ahead, and then I, I finally had to confess, like, look, I've been a terrible friend, I've gone ahead without you, but I'm going to wait where I'm at for you to catch up, and then let's keep watching. But, like, like once, I finished the, once I finished the show, I was like, I don't know what to do with my life, so I watched all five seasons of Angel, and then there was nothing else. So I was like, the comics? And that okay. was a mistake. So, if we ever do a spin-off podcast, what mm-hmm. I want to do is watch... Buffy and Angel, and at one point in history, for a brief glimmering moment, Firefly all lined up to mm-hmm. different nights of the week. So what I want to do is chronologically watch the entire series every week. So this week we watch these episodes of each show and talk about how they intersect and line up and oh, when man. the crossovers work and when they don't. Oh, yeah. I Yeah, because especially Angel, I think... Um... Copyright, uh, copyright, copyright. Don't take my <laughs> podcast idea. My God. Well, I mean, listen, the current conceit of the podcast is wholly original and not in any way <laughs> derivative of other uh, uh, podcasts that are like, what if we rank stuff? There's not a literal other podcast that does the exact same oh, thing that oh, we do. Which honestly was delightful to have found Scream Scene, which by the way, first of all, they seem fucking lovely as hell. As yeah, people. they were going to have a crossover episode someday. Oh, it has to happen. And also, I think we started doing this podcast the same month they started doing yeah. basically the same podcast. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it, it was a weird moment to just go, oh, you're, you t- oh, shit, okay. And then, but. <laughs> so, uh, where, uh, oh boy, all right, here we go. Where on the list are we putting The Shape of Water? Uh, number 95 is The Untamed. Whoa, we're going that far down. 
Well, which would you rather see, fish fucking or alien fuck beast? Oh, yeah, that's actually, that's a fair place to start, is if we're talking about monster fucking. Um, between the two of those, I would probably rather watch The Shape of Water. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah it, it that would put it below Pumpkinhead, and that doesn't feel conscionable. Well, and at least because I think, the so I, you, you know me, you know I adore the untamed and really anything related to monster fucking. But I think it's kind of a rough vibe in the Untamed at points, where it's just very raw and very sort of, oh. Um, I think The Shape of Water is, it's like a hug for my brain. Like, the atmosphere, the lighting, everything is a soft blue, the music. Like, so much about this is just, like, absolute comfort food viewing. Which is weird for a thing about racism, homophobia, and sexism, and fish fucking, but... It, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful movie. Is um, it better than the lure? Oh, here we go. All right, other other speaking fish of movies. other fish fucking. Other <laughs> this is there is a non-zero number of fish fucking movies on this podcast, and I value that. I think it's probably better than the lure, and I love the lure, but I think more care and time and I well, I mean not the oh okay I think. The, the Shape of Water is a better end product, but also I don't know if it's taking as many chances as the lure. What do you think? So I would say that The Shape of Water is better than the lure, but yeah. the lure is very good. Oh, yeah. And again, part of my argument is then that would put The Shape of Water under Troll 2, and that also doesn't feel like a, a acceptable mm choice yeah 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 and it's also better than tales from the crypt demon knight i think all right all right all right all right all right all right i think if i'm going with absolute ceiling i want to put it i do not think it is better than poltergeist from 1982 yeah that's fair but um, i do feel like it is in comparable company around Shaun of the Dead and Nightmare on Elm Street right below it. Yeah. So uh, w Dream Warriors or Shape of Water? I think, and it grieves me to say this, I think The Shape of Water is better than Nightmare 3. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like if we're talking about quality of film, mm -hmm. like Shaun of the Dead is great because it is pastiche. Yeah. And Shape of Water is great because it is auteur vision. Yeah, that's a really good point. That like, like, Shaun of the Dead operates because we have ever seen a zombie movie, and the movie knows that we've seen a zombie movie, and it's playing with those things, where I feel like The Shape of Water is trying to... It's also like a retro thing because it's set during the Cold War, but it's almost like this is Guillermo del Toro as he imagines it to be. Yeah, yeah, it is... Guillermo del Toro presents the fifties. <laughs> would would live in uh, any any world that Guillermo del Toro envisioned, and then subsequently die very quickly in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so, I feel I feel really good about putting uh, the Shape of Water in uh, uh, underneath Poltergeist at number twenty two and above Shaun of the Dead. All right. So that makes the Shape of Water number twenty three. So the next movie that we're going to talk about is a Blu-ray provided to us by our buds at MVD Visual. It is The Twilight People. I am so excited to talk about The Twilight People. Um, 
So this movie is one that I had never heard about until this video release. It's basically uh, Dr. Moreau made and directed in the Philippines. Yeah, it's so um, it's the, the island of Dr. Moreau, but also going with the previous theme of The Shape of Water, a big part of this movie is, you know who the real pricks are? It's human beings. Yeah, so this mad scientist kidnaps a diver why does he kidnap the diver because he's also a scientist they never quite go into that i don't think he just it's like he recreationally kidnaps people he found snorkeling yeah yeah and says you're gonna become a manimal now (laughs) which god i've been waiting to hear that from someone my whole life for someone to just abduct me and go all right you're gonna be a manimal now and then transform me into a beast Pam Greer is in this movie, and what's wild yeah. is Pam Greer is in this movie dressed like a leopard woman. Yeah, like, I didn't realize that that a was A lesser Greer. director would say, we cannot cover Pam Greer in head-to-toe <laughs> prosthetics. I we mean, gotta put her front and center. I mean, Pam Greer, I didn't even realize that was Pam Greer until, like, halfway through, and then I was like, oh, yeah. fuck, and I had to quickly Google it. Um, And so, it's, it's, it's on some... Uh, it's on some Island of Dr. Moreau shit, and it's about um, this, the main baddie of the thing. And that is not coincidental, because this movie definitely came out after Island of Lost Souls, so oh, they're, yeah. they know what they're doing. Which, I still have never seen Island of Lost Souls. Me neither. We'll have to do that on the show. Yeah, that's a stay tuned for sure. Um, but, so the, the, the main protagonist of, um, or antagonist, excuse me, uh, he is just an oily little scum fuck. He's like... He's the Val Kilmer of this version of the movie. Right. He's like the, I'm the mercenary head of the guards. Mm -hmm. Uh, And did you notice the queer coding or was I just reading too deeply? Oh, I I definitely noticed the queer coding and didn't know if it was me because I think everything is gay. No, it was definitely like the daughter of the mad scientist says, you're in love with your prisoner, aren't you? Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I, I think it puts him in um, the sort of Dr. Pretorius role. Um, yes. Because Dr. Pretorius was also super queer-coded in Bride of Frankenstein and also was doing mean science. Um, I, I love, honestly, any monologue where somebody is screaming about how they're going to turn people into manimals. Like, because it makes me think of that one panel from, like, a Spider-Man comic where he's like, but you have the technology to rewrite people's DNA? You could cure cancer with that. And a a pterodactyl just calmly telling him, I don't want to do that. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. (laughs) Yes, that's Elliot Kaling. That's the one. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, mean mean science. Uh, And so it's an island full of sort of animal people? Yeah, yeah. So the the term is manimal. Manimal, thank you. So what's wild is you got the goat man who's like nice because he's a goat. Then you have the chimp man and the um, leopard woman and the I guess she's a dog woman. <laughs> sure. So the only real way you can tell what animal they are is based off of the sound effects they use for their their voices yeah they're like pokemon in that way they actually have to announce <laughs> their name as an animal like zebra before doing anything so everybody oh that's a that's a zebra 
Um, but the true star of this movie is the Batman. <laughs> oh, shit. That Batman. I actually stood up in my office chair and went, yo! Like, when wings fucking all over the place, uh, there is a dude who is a bat, and... It's and is it a spoiler to say he does take flight? Like the whole movie, you're like, is that guy gonna fly? Is he gonna fly? And then he fucking flies. He will in the last reel. Is the thing you're waiting for it? The anticipation, you know, like your upper lip is sweating. I screamed at the final shot of the movie. Like actually yelled at my television because I was so happy <laughs> with how things work out for the Batman. <laughs> Absolutely, and the the effect of him flapping away into the horizon at the end of the thing <laughs> it's the the funniest fucking thing and it's like superimposed over the actual actors emoting and going oh it's a bat guy and it's just <laughs> yeah, like flying away um that, so and what's also great is he's a vampire bat so like he definitely bites people's heads off for sure but also everyone's like what a beautiful image to see that <laughs> Free that fl- soaring Batman. Well, and and like and there's a bit in this that I, I I've been thinking about like all day where um the acting in this one scene uh the the daughter of the the, the I think the main scientist guy yeah um, yeah she's like pulling... Doctor Moreau let's just call yeah him yeah Dr. yeah Do- Doctor Moreau she's the Feruzabal <laughs> <laughs> yes so uh uh Sh- Schmalk, uh pulls out a rifle and she's about to fucking cap the bad guy from behind and he just sort of turns around and goes ma and like snatches it away from her (laughs) and i'm wondering about the uh, the direction for that scene because if it was just like okay i need you to notice that you're being held at gunpoint and then go ma and snatch the gun away and the way she plays it like i she's so understated in the way that she acts that it's just like oh you caught me trying to shoot you that's i wish that hadn't happened yeah, uh, this movie is wild, but it's also, like, beautifully shot, and the oh, yeah. transfer on this Blu-ray is amazing. They yeah. found, surprisingly, they found a print that is still pretty good, and the transfer looks great. The The scene at the beginning where he's swimming in the, the actual coral reef, because Eddie Romero says, wait a minute, we're in the Philippines, we can just go in the water and shoot beautiful fish true and well it's the fish let's and, do that for 20 minutes yeah i mean like the entire intro of the thing i see i had just rewatched shape of water before watching this and i was just like what the fuck this is a very aquatic day for us like there's a it's a lot of fish happening and then also even aside from all of the fish happening can we talk about the soundtrack on this movie because it is the most <laughs> Pink Panther soundtrack, where it's just like smooth, <laughs> sort of da dum da dum, and it's like it's amazing because it makes me feel like I'm in like a the Denny's lobby at two in the morning, <laughs> and they're playing that smooth jazz, and I'm waiting for someone to turn me into a animal. Which is it's so chill in the scenes where there's a lab full of bloodthirsty <laughs> rapist animals. Can we talk yeah. about that? Oh, yeah, I guess we can. Why did that have to happen? Um, and there's an easy answer to that, and I'm going to say that it's a bad movie from 1972. I, I think you actually got a fine from the MPAA if you didn't put in a rape scene. Well, it's it's in attempted rape, movie? which I hate to. Yeah. I feel gross even saying like, Quibble. "Well, we can." No, what's what's bizarre is basically it's 
the chimp manimal is uh, doesn't know to control himself, so he attacks Dr. Right. Moreau's daughter. And then she right. easily and it, forgives him and says, well, you don't know any better, Ah, uh, uh, you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it does bypass that a bit by just... But although, I mean, the thing is, I already knew Chimp Man was wilding out. You know what I mean? Like, I I knew that he was a manimal, and maybe his impulse control wasn't great without that. Like, I don't, I don't need to see that. Um, the acting so, in this movie is the most intro to theater workshop, pick your animal identity, <laughs> and spend an hour being that animal. <laughs> Holy shit. That's exactly... Okay, so your inspiration is that you're a chimpanzee. Uh, go. And then <laughs> this is how it manifests. Yeah. I, I, although the soundtrack is weird, because you've got, like, lab full of animal people wilding the fuck out. Bunch of animals uh, going nuts with, like, smooth jazz. And then during other scenes where it's just people kind of talking or moving through a jungle or doing understated things it's like crazy and it's the most it's the it's the most whiplash i've ever had on a soundtrack is like who was in charge of that and were they just like ah eh, fuck it put some bongos in it'll be fine it's fine no one's gonna watch this <laughs> and honestly this made me think of uh, another horror movie which oddly enough featured bill maher when he was an actor called uh, cannibal women in the avocado jungle of death Oh, yeah. See, I cannot remember if I've seen that movie or not. I want to say that we watched it in college at one point. Yeah, I feel like we did, but it was so unmemorable. All I can tell you is the name sounds familiar. <laughs> right, and also it's like, oh, why do I have a vague desire to punch someone? Oh, right, Bill Maher. He was in that, right. <laughs> um, one of, a, a, uh, yes. a, a profoundly punchable face. Um, but yeah, like, honestly, the Twilight people... This is exactly the kind of goofy midnight movie you want to watch. And also, I think this yeah. is the first Filipino horror movie we've had on the podcast. I think that's right. Unless there's one that I'm just totally forgetting. Right, or like it was a, a joint international production or something. But yeah, I mean... This... Yeah, yeah. It's very good. And again, like, MVD puts out these really great movies. Like, this is one of those Blu-rays that... I'm going to proudly display on my shelf next to my other ridiculous psychotronic. Mm. Like it, this is going next to the sword and the claw and the crazies on my shelf as like, what the fuck are these movies on your <laughs> shelf? And honestly, I mean, you specifically, like, since we started doing the podcast, you're the one who's gotten me into sort of the weirder, seedier grindhouse stuff from the <laughs> 70s. It's I, so good. I used to think, here's the thing. I used to think I was too good for that shit. I'm not. I am absolutely not too good for that shit. And I'll tell you which movie it was that got me on board with greasy, weird, sleazy uh, grindhouse movies with wild practical effects. It was Female Prisoner Scorpion Beast Stable. <laughs> like, that the was... as good as fuck. Oh, it's so good. Like, that intro with the severed hand and the... Oh, it's so good. Um, and honestly, I feel like... Uh, do you think movies like that are in a acquired taste because the idea is this wasn't avant-garde art shit back in the day this was for the peanut chewing trogs that show up on a saturday night you know what i mean like yeah i feel like it's it's sincerity that makes it work mm -hmm. it is by god we're gonna make a movie and we're gonna make the best movie we can make 
with this yeah. minimal budget in the jungle of the Philippines. <laughs> There's also this fascinating um, racial thing going on where anyone that looks vaguely ethnic is a villain and anyone that passes as white or is white is a hero in this movie. Yeah, although the main the main bad guy is white, I think, isn't he? I don't know. I think he's like redheaded, I want to say. He looks he looks like Duke Nukem. So, especially with uh this movie, I think one of the main things uh, so when we talk about sort of grindhouse or exploitation movies or like sort of sleazy weird anything involving animals, right? From the 70s. So psychotronic movies. Psychotronic movies. I really movies. like the term psychotronic. Oh, that is a that is a, a delightful fucking term, isn't it? I did not coin it, but I'm going to use it. Oh, no, but it's perfect, because it's, it's basically, yeah. is this something that Rob Rob Zombie would be jerking it to while making a new movie? And then <laughs> that's psychotronic. Well, yes, maybe I'm yes, it is. Connecting... The Twilight people. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm connecting that to him because of the song Psychoholic Slag. Anyway, um, but I, I, when we look at movies like that and we're ranking them, I feel like we almost grade on a bit of a curve, don't we? Because of the thing of what is it trying to do and how well does it accomplish that? Well, to their defense, most of those movies are at the bottom of the list. That's true. We're not, you know, saying like... Uh, like, The Sword and the Claw is good as fuck, but it's only at 142. That's true. I actually, you know what? Good for us for being fair in our rating of movies. <laughs> and saying, well, it's fun, but it's not actually good. Yeah. And I think like... So, we've talked about this off-air... I feel like this list should be taken more as a, if you've never watched a horror movie, watch in this order and tap out when you find a movie you don't like. Ah, that's actually... And I feel like in some ways, t towards the upper half of the list is more like advanced viewing or like... Honestly, I don't know why we're watching this anymore viewing. Yeah, I would say, actually, I draw... I, I feel like the start of... Okay, uh, now, and, and here we get into some weird dicey shit, would probably be um, Funny Games. I feel like, at number 45, I feel like it's right after Theater of Blood, which even Roger Ebert loved. Uh, and I feel like, past that point, it's sort of... All right, you're, you, may, you might be getting into some shit here. We'll see. Well... No, like, I don't have any problem suggesting any of this until we actually start getting down to, um, you know, Kuso. Oh, uh, that's fair. Yeah. Well, high tension is under Kuso. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's like, honestly, this is a great list until you get down to, like, I don't know. Ghoulies. Gantz. <laughs> oh yeah, Gantz. Which also uh, Becca's hatred of Gantz still keeps me warm on 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 windy nights. Um, Two headed shark attack. I don't know. Yeah. It's which like... also I love how far down the list we've buried high tension at number one forty one. Um. So uh, and then uh. So side note about you know sort of exploitation movies and and you know sleaze and uh, psychotronic movies. Um. I tried watching Eaten Alive by to uh, Toby Hooper like years and years ago and thought it was terrible and hated it and couldn't understand how the guy who did texas chainsaw and poltergeist and 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 then was you know I, I sort of abandoned it and then i came back a couple of weeks ago and it's about a guy who feeds people to his pet crocodile and robert england is in it and 
I loved it. So this it's po- actually a metaphor for his sexual repression. The crocodile is his penis. Oh, 100%. And, which and he is- only kills people that he is uncomfortable with their sexuality. So yeah. anytime that he like feels lusty, he panics and feeds the the person to the crocodile. Well, shit. So it's kind of like how the crocodile is his libido that he's fighting against because of his repression. So it's like Toby Hooper railing on like sexually repressed middle America. Of course it is or, because he's a genius. It's a movie about, <laughs> about a, a giant killer crocodile. <laughs> it's about a guy who feeds people to his crocodile. Um, so this this podcast has reshaped my brain, and I enjoyed the shit out of Eaten Alive when I watched it a couple of weeks ago. So there's egg on my face. <laughs> so I all right. So if we're uh, ranking um, this film that we've that we've been talking about, the I Twilight people can't be better than the sword in the Club. oh certainly not we got to watch machiste wrestling with stuff and that's that you can dine out on that forever um i think it is better than five knives yeah and i would say oh is it better than invaders i don't think it is i don't think it is because invaders is um a perfect little slider of a horror movie I don't know, though. That hmm. says it's better than Black Christmas. Yeah, I don't know that it's... Yeah, all right, all right, all right. That's a good point. And, okay, uh, and okay. actually, it's absolutely better than The Curse uh-huh. with Will Wheaton. <laughs> Which is always how we think about it. it's not better than Santa's Sleigh. It's, it's like A Tribe Called Quest when you say The Curse, because it has to be The Curse with Will Wheaton. That's the full title <laughs> of the thing, is The Curse with Will Wheaton. Um, I also think it's not probably as good as... Um, the WNUF Halloween special. Oh, for sure. Um, however, uh, also Beyond the Gates has Barbara Crampton. However, I am comfortable putting the Twilight people above the original Vampire Hunter D. Yeah, I think between Beyond the Gates and Vampire Hunter D at our mm-hmm. new number 182 is a good slot for the Twilight people. Yeah. So go pick up this Blu-ray now. It looks great. It's got reversible art. It's a really good transfer. The sound is great. It's got... Um, I, I'm I'm not a fan of commentaries with film critics. It's got that film critic commentary where two nerds like really get insular about it. Uh, but you know, it's great. So the Twilight yeah. People's out. Uh, thanks a lot, MVD Visual, for hooking us up with that great uh, screener. Yeah, which I, I, I love. And also, if you have any uh, screeners that you want to send us to have us talk about on the podcast, hit us up. We love screeners so much. Yes, if you are a filmmaker or you work for a uh, media outlet and you want us to talk about your movie, uh, send us an email. And also, at gmail.com. and also, um, and I, I want to point this out, I just created a letterbox for Rank and Vile, which has, um, or I, 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 now, and when I say I created, I say I was dithering about creating, and then my librarian partner was like, why don't you make a letterbox that has the list on it, rather than futzing around with occasionally taking screenshots of it and posting it to Twitter. So uh, Rank and Vile uh, is the, the username on Letterboxd, and I'm making a bunch of new lists where, you know, sort of... I've realized that a thing that I really would love to use this podcast for 
is to help people who might want to dip their toes into horror to like help help them find purchase and be like okay so you want a horror movie that you can watch with your mom here's a list for that or uh you really maybe you want to get into body horror uh you know here are a bunch of movies that i think you should look into if you're really into bodies doing gross shit um yeah like what is psychotronic well let me tell you here's a movie called the sword and the claw basically Which, everything that agfa has put out on blu-ray in the past <laughs> three years that's literally just it is it's just every agfa release uh, and and really i i feel like a dope for the fact that i only just created a letterbox like o- over a year into doing this podcast <laughs> um but you know uh, hashtag it's a process we're all on our own journey and i created a list called sam neil completely loses his shit for <laughs> where that happens because i think that's a crucial thing to have um so definitely um if you're uh if, if you're a listener uh, to, uh of the podcast and you maybe want a specific kind of list i would absolutely adore curating uh, a letterbox list specifically for you if you ask me for a, a, a specific selection of movies that you should look into oh it's like mixtapes but with movies oh that's why that's why i love letterbox so much you're right. It's literally just Oh, that's, that's sweet. I think so, too. So, we're also able to be found on uh, at Rank and Vilecast on Twitter and at Rank and Vile on Instagram and Rank and Vile on Tumblr. If you want to request a movie, um, use our Ask Box on Tumblr or shoot us a message on rankandvilecast at gmail.com. And we are happy to add that to our sack that we pull from. Um, consistently, the best movies we talk about are listener requests. Mm-hmm. Because if I have my way, we will only <laughs> talk about movies made in Hong Kong between 1979 and 1986. <laughs> Correct. Or it'll be me. It, it, it'll either be that or an unholy cocktail of grindhouse movies from the 70s and teen screams from the early 2000s and late 90s um save us from ourselves what it is is me sending you emails going hey look at this thing i found on amazon prime (laughs) called uh killer zombie sleepover 18 fart (laughs) blood massacre they, they fart blood and it's they just like all right blood. i guess That's we're doing, we're doing. <laughs> so, so yeah. please save us from ourselves and send <laughs> us listener requests yeah uh, and then also uh in the next week or so i'm going to be trying to get us up on a couple of other uh podcast listening platforms like i've been meeting to forever like stitcher and probably soundcloud which i'm reliably informed a lot of people use um and yeah if you if you like this podcast uh, sh- uh send us a request or uh on itunes I cannot stress enough, like, if you like listening to our bullshit voices yakking on about horror movies every week, go ahead and give us a five-star review, and literally you can just make the review of the thing, I like horror okay, uh, or I, I like horror just fine America, and enter that, and then give us the five-star review, that would go so far, and especially because we want to get this out to as many people as possible, um, that would do us a big solid. And listen, I'm trying to clean out my office, uh, so... If you leave us a positive review on iTunes, uh, shoot us an email and with your address and a link to the review, and I'll send you a piece of trash from my office. <laughs> <laughs> Our campaign promise to you, we will mail you trash. 
Well, it's uh, like zines and comic books and postcards, but like <laughs> I'll throw a postcard in the mail towards you that says thank you on it. No, no yeah, totally. We'll, um, we'll draw little doodles of like Leatherface so, and stuff. Uh, I, I'm, I I can't promise that. Oh, okay, all right. I didn't mean to put words in your mouth. But I can promise. Yeah. I have a, a rubber stamp for the podcast. I can promise stamping a rubber stamp on a piece of paper. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cert- certified better than uh, Cat in the Brain. <laughs> Sleepaway yeah. camp, but close enough. Yeah. So, listen, um, we are sponsored this week by Zubaz. Motherfucking uh, Zubaz. what do you think of Zubaz? What do I think of Zubaz? Uh, I think uh, it. Th- there are, as a country, uh, America has produced maybe a handful of worthwhile things. One of those is professional wrestling. One of those is, like... It's just wrestling. And the other one is Zubas, which... Or is it Zubaz or Zubuzz? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if it was like a plural, like like one pant leg would be one Zuba, and collectively they are Zubas with a Z. The point is, they are neon fucking crazy billowy pants that you can wear while working out and pair it with a fanny pack and wear with a Ribera Steakhouse jacket so you can look like Hawk from the Legion of Doom. Uh, no, but for if... real, all the cool wrestlers and cool wrestling fans and cool people are wearing them. So jump yeah. on that bandwagon. Yeah. The Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson, definitely wears Zubaz on the regular. And every time I wear mine, I feel that much cooler because I'm in the <laughs> leagues of that dude. Absolutely. And he is fucking jacked. Yeah, so if you um if you want to get 15% off uh, your order with Zubas, which by the way, th- um I uh, thank you and I love you to everyone who has so far done so because y'all are the real MVPs. You're going to want to use the code rankvile15 uh, all one word to get 15% off your enormous fucking Lisa Frank ass crazy pants. Now, heads up, um, 15% off regular items. So anything that's on clearance doesn't get the code, but um, all of the standard pants are on sale. So <laughs> standard, as long standard, as it's... standard pants, such as they are. <laughs> that's um so so here's here's my full ringing endorsement of zubas my son is really into roughhousing and wrestling in the house he's a rowdy fella he's a rowdy fella he's a rowdy roddy um <laughs> and i work an office job and i wear very tight slacks all the time and all I think about when I'm at work is I just want to go home and put on my Zubas and my wrestling <laughs> t-shirts. And I get home and I put on my Zubas and my son says, Daddy, let's wrestle. And he says, those are good wrestling pants, Daddy. And then we wrestle. <laughs> and a child shall lead them. He, your, your, your kid is so smart. He knows. He looks upon those pants and goes, mm, let's wrestle. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. do it. So, so uh, Zubas. <laughs> Zubas. Uh, and that's all I got. You got anything else? Have a great week, y'all. Later, folks.